Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Now, I did say yesterday that week three of the NFL season was weird. Really weird. Then last night, continued that theme. Yeah, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have been a complete mess by Steelers standards, rolling into Tampa and suddenly looking like the Steelers all over again. You know, the Steelers we know. Antonio Brown was in the building last night after ditching work on Monday, and immediately he started doing Antonio Brown things in the first half. Things like this. Shotgun snap, quick line drive, throw it to sidearm, throw it, goes to the far side. Antonio Brown breaks the tackle on the numbers of 20. On the sideline, 15 breaks the tackle, the 10, the 5, down the far sideline, touchdown Pittsburgh. Antonio Brown, a catch and run of 28 yards. Westwood won on the call, and as I mentioned, Antonio Brown thinks. Like he takes a quick pass, shakes the tackle, changes gears in a hurry, blows past another would-be tackler, and is in the end zone in a flash. And that's why he's Antonio Brown, and you're not. And that's why the Pittsburgh Steelers put up with him doing Antonio Brown things off the field. Because he shows up on Sunday or Monday night, and he does things like that on the field. However... The real play of the first half, maybe even of the entire season, came on Pittsburgh's third drive of the game. They were trailing 7-0. They had the ball in their own 25. Ben Roethlisberger finds Vance McDonald. Vance McDonald finds Buck's safety, Chris Conte. Shotgun snap. There's a throw to the far side. Pop on McDonald over the shoulder on the far side. Line 35. Up the sideline 40. Breaks a tackle on the 50. Racing down the 40. Foot race to the 30. Sideline 20. Far sideline 10. They'll chase him into the end zone. Touchdown, Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh-oh. Are you watching that on CBS Sports Network? You probably saw that last night. That stiff arm was unbelievable. I mean, the stiff arm in and of itself is always going to be one of the filthiest, disrespectful moves in all of sports. It's a thing of beauty, especially when done properly. But I don't think that I've ever seen a more proper stiff arm than that right there. Never seen a more nasty, humiliating, and demoralizing stiff arm than that right there. And when the referees are throwing flags for virtually everything else, how the hell do you not throw one there? Because that's 15 yards all day long for extreme disrespect. Like, there's a get-off-me stiff arm, and then there's a get-off-my-planet stiff arm. Vance McDonald eviscerated Chris Conti with that one arm. He just turned Chris Conti into a million different internet memes. So, if you don't mind, please give it up for Vance. Please give it up for Vance. And then please send my condolences to Chris because Vance just stiff-armed him into the center of the earth. I've watched that dozens of times, and I still can't figure it out. I still do not understand it. I mean, sure, Vance is the bigger man, but Conti is a grown man who has spent a lifetime playing football, and Vance McDonald just treated him like a mosquito, and he was the sledgehammer. So, what's the mindset when it comes to a play like that? I don't know. Take it away, Vance. What was going through your mind? Yeah, just punish him. I mean, I inflict as much force on him as possible. That's the first thing I think of. Were you aiming specifically for a part like for his? Yeah, the, his temple. To just crush him. Yeah, that's what I was aiming for. Did you know right away that you left him to left him just like that? No. Um, I mean, yeah, and things like that, they happen so fast. Like, it's hard to even just remember, but I just... I mean, yeah, he was in front of me, and I knew just the coverage. I knew there was no one left in the field, so you know, I had the whole sideline. Quote, just punish him. Inflict as much force on him as possible. Yeah, well, you did that, Vance. Mission accomplished. Oh, and if you can't get enough of this guy, here's another gem of a quote. I love contact. If a DB or a safety wants to take me up high, God bless him, because I'm going to hit them hard. That's my goal. End of quote. The only thing better than the stiff arm itself was Steeler Cam Hayward celebrating on the sideline by pointing at Chris Conti. The Bucks' safety suffered a knee injury and he left the game. The team tweeted, injury update, safety Chris Conti knee is out for the remainder of the game. I wouldn't have been surprised if that tweet read, injury update, Chris Conti out for the remainder of life. But as remarkable as that stiff arm was, and as credible as Antonio Brown's touchdown was, it would not have been the 2018 Steelers without a hell of a lot of drama, right? 
And you got that in the second half when the defense imploded and Roethlisberger snapped on Brown after a miscommunication on third down. I mean, the whole thing is still so weird. Really weird. Like, just when you thought the Steelers were pulling out of it, just when it felt like they were turning their season around in Tampa, they nearly blow it. They're up 30-10, to 10, and they promptly give up 17 straight points, and they nearly hand that game to the Bucks before they finally get the stop when they have to have it. And then even then, they still need a big bend to make a big play and James Conner to ice it. Because if the Steelers defense did come back on the field, it felt like a guaranteed loss. I mean, things are so weird with this team that Roethlisberger opened up the presser by apologizing to Brown. But then A.B. said it's really not necessary. He always made me feel good uh, communicating and talking to me. It's like when your wife tells you you're looking strong getting the groceries and make you want to get more groceries. So. <laughs> <laughs> I see it working, A.B., I think. I guess. Listen, winning cures pretty much everything. If not everything, just about everything. And they did do what they had to do to grind out a tough win on the road. But it's not going to fix all their problems. For instance, they're still a really undisciplined football team. Le'Veon Bell still is not there and probably is not coming back. And they damn near gave away a game that they had already won. So sure, throw it in my face. Go ahead and look up at the scoreboard. I always say it myself. Scoreboard. Look up at it. Yeah, go ahead and do that. Look up at the scoreboard. Just know that when you do, you're still looking up at everybody else in that division. They did what they had to do. They got the win. They were able to grind it out. But that's not going to fix everything. And, of course, we'll get to Fitz Magic and all you geniuses running right to Twitter with Fitz Tragic like you were the only one who thought of that. I will say that that was something. You know, in terms of whether or not this guy gets to keep his gig, my point on the NFL and CBS was – It's not what does he have to do to keep that gig. It's what does he have to do to lose that gig. And that's virtually impossible given how he played in the first couple of games. And then what happens? He comes out and he throws three picks in the first half. Not only three picks, but three picks on three consecutive passes. Not only three picks on three consecutive passes, but three picks on three consecutive passes and a pick six. But then... He went Fitz Magic in the second half. The Magic came back and nearly ripped that game. It's still his job. It's still his job. So I want to get into all that. Also last night, what can you do? Another game and, of course, roughing the passer, the big topic. Remember coming out of the offseason and into the regular season, everybody was so concerned about the new helmet rule, lowering the helmet. What was that going to mean? How are they going to call that? That's been no issue whatsoever. But the roughing the passer rule has been a major issue, and there were four more penalties called on that last night. So we have to talk about that some more. Again, I understand making the game safer. They should. I understand wanting to protect the quarterback. They should do that. No one's going to watch the NFL if you've got a bunch of starting quarterbacks and stars on the sideline. I also understand that. But again, where do you draw the line? Roughing the passer or tackling the quarterback. I heard the Batman theme. That can only mean one thing. Dear Rome Skillet, was that Vance McDonald or Alvin pushing Hawk out of the way as he tried to fix the phones? Signed Casey, New Hampshire. The phones are fixed. The one thing you can't fix, though, is Hawk's response to me yesterday when I said to him, hey, how's your day going? Oh, it's a dream. It's a dream. And and said it with a straight face. That was not sarcasm at all. He was still living the life of a Tiger Woods honk. Like, when I said to him, how was your day, it was kind of rhetorical. My question, how was your day, was actually my telling him, I'm not having a good day here, Hawk. But he took it as a question. Hey, how's your day? Oh, it's a dream. <laughs> my guy won. Uh, that was yesterday. Dream day. A dream day is what he called it. This email says, hey, Jim, today is my dad's special day. So I was hoping that you could have Alvin rock dad's favorite song. Recently, he has been crusty and struggling to keep his head above water he has reached his boiling point a congratulatory line from you might bring him out of his shell and hopefully even crack him up sin sizzling sizzingly yours kyle shanahan hashtag national lobster day Travis Kelsey is my guest. Travis, good morning. What's up? How are you? 
Jim, always appreciate being on the show, big guy. I'm doing great. Man, it's so good to have you back, even if we have a few minutes. Let me ask you, Travis, 3-0, and and the offense is putting up crazy numbers. You've gone for over 100 yards or more in the last two games. Obviously, everybody's hitting on all cylinders. What does the offense feel like to you, and what's it like to play in this offense? It's, I mean, it's, uh, it's ecstatic, man. It's, it's so much fun. I mean, everybody's getting a piece of the pie. Uh, Pat's out there uh, just slinging it around, man. And it, it, it's fun to... To, I'm sure just to call plays for us, for uh, Coach Reed, but it's fun playing for him right now because of how much energy he's bringing. Um, and, and, and overall, it's just uh, it's, it's, a, it's great because we're winning, but it, uh, it'll be even sweeter when we, uh, when we get to the playoffs and do something special there too. You know, Travis, you and I spoke at the Super Bowl right after the news broke that Alex Smith had been traded. And at that time, you had nothing but love for him as a person, a leader, a quarterback, a teammate. But you did have high expectations for Pat Mahomes and – you know, that said, could you have ever imagined him stepping in and doing what he's done in the first three weeks? Yeah, I mean, 13 touchdowns, it's uh, it's hard to predict something like that. Even though we do set the bar high in terms of expectations of the offense, um, what we've been able to do, what Pat's been able to do is just eye-opening. And it's, uh, it's hats off to him for being ready for, this, for the opportunity. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a fun offense to play in. It's, uh, when, you can, when you can be excited for, uh, for the guy around you's success, uh, the way we have, it's um, it's special. Travis Kelsey joins me for another moment or so. So what has impressed you the most about Mahomes and the way he has stepped into his role as starting quarterback? Um, how, how we've been able to handle adversity uh, and how he leads us. It's uh, we've, we've hit uh, a few spots there in the second half of a few games, second quarter of the Steelers game specifically, where, um, you know, it got, it got a little rough for us. And in years past, we may have not have uh, – bounce back from that and uh with with one five it's been it's been a smooth transition and hey let's get the, let's get this thing going get the energy back up the alertness and uh let's go out there and make plays because we got playmakers to make them all right now travis because we hit this thing a little bit off you join me a little bit late you don't have a lot of time here but i want you to get in here quickly with the glorious beard action from old spice if the listeners want to get in on that how do they do so um well uh today it's uh old spice well it's the Old Spice has finally got down to Beardness, which is uh, the new Old Spice Beard Collection. Um, you can get it available on Amazon.com. Today uh, on Twitter, Old Spice is doing a Q&A with their, their bearded quartet, uh, noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, any, any beard grooming questions you have, they'll have answers for you. And it's, uh, it's, it's cool to finally see uh, Old Spice get into the beard collection. Right, now, listen, you, I appreciate any time I get with you, Travis. Tell me you and I can do this again soon so we can have some more time together and talk about your season and the team. We definitely got to do it, Jim. I appreciate you, big guy. I did say Ryan Fitzpatrick was the starter in Tampa. And it was not a matter of what he had to do to keep that gig, rather a matter of what he had to do to lose that gig. And then he promptly went out and did exactly what he would have to do to lose that gig. Three picks in the first half. That's bad. (laughs) That's bad. But you know what's worse than three picks in the first half? Three picks on three straight pass attempts because he did that too. And you know what's even worse than three picks on three straight pass attempts? Three picks on three straight pass attempts capped off by a pick six because he did that as well. And about a million people on Twitter thought that they were the first and the funniest to tweet Fitz Tragic. If the Twitter fail whale was ever going to come out again, it would have been right there. And we would have all deserved it. Because just as guys thinking that they were original by going with Fitz Magic, Fitz Tragic was one of the most obvious takes ever. And, of course, everybody was saying, here we go again. This is what Ryan Fitzpatrick does. He shows up in a place. He gets a shot to start. He lights it up. Then he falls apart. Rinse and repeat. Same old Fitzpatrick. Look, I'm not going to argue that those picks weren't picks and that there weren't three of them and one of them got housed. I'm not going to say that. That that all happened. However, they were not all his fault. There was a tipped ball. There was a bad route mixed in there. And there was a hell of a lot of pressure in Fitzpatrick's face nearly every single time he went back to pass. So he and the Bucs dig themselves a huge hole, and it did look like, I'll admit, it looked like for a matter of time, it was just a matter of Jameis Winston showing up at the facility this morning and reclaiming the starter's job. But then something happened, something amazing. 
Fitzpatrick turned it around. The magic returned. And after playing the Bucks out of the game and beating himself, Ryan Fitzpatrick played them right back into the game, and they nearly beat the Steelers. And there was not a more Ryan Fitzpatrick moment than when he did this. Fitzpatrick will throw an arching spiral pass down the near side. It's a falling down, backpedaling catch in the corner of the end zone by Evan. He was heavily covered. Fitzpatrick threw the ball with an arching spiral in the near corner, and it was caught by Evans for the Tampa Bay touchdown. Thanks to Westwood one again. Fitzpatrick's pass was great. His reaction, even greater. It looked like he had just been hit with the paddles and had a million volts coursing through his veins, which he did. And that's what he's been doing for that team right now. And that's why this guy deserves to keep the gig. Not because he became the first guy to throw for 400 yards in three straight games, even though he did. Because last night's 400-yard game was nothing like the first two. And not because he's got an amazing beard, and he does. And not because of that. But because right now, he's able to do things with that offense that Jameis Winston has never done consistently. How different is that game if Fitzpatrick isn't facing pressure nearly 40% of his dropbacks? How different is that game if Chris Godwin actually has hands instead of oven mitts where his receiver gloves should be? If either of those things happen, there's a chance he doesn't throw for 400 yards because they're not playing catch up all night long. Maybe they take the lead, they run the ball some, and they spin clock. Look, it's not my call whether or not this guy keeps that job. I've given Dirk Cutter my advice, and it sounds like he's taking it because here's what he had to say after that game. Of course, we love Jameis. I mean, Jameis is uh, he's a member of our team and uh, anxious to get him back. He'll, he'll be great in our locker room, and I know Jameis, whatever role that, that he ends up in, I know Jameis will embrace that role and give it everything he's got. Hopefully. Hope so. Sounds like we're looking at at least one more week of Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tampa Bay Bucks starting quarterback, and he's earned it. Again, not all those picks were his fault, nor were the drops by his receivers, nor was the fact that his line couldn't pass protect, nor was the fact that Deshaun Jackson had an 80-yard punt return for a TD called back. It's not his fault they lost that game. Look, he's going to lose that gig at some point, just not this week, or at least he better not. Because Fitzmagic is doing things that Winston has never consistently done, and he deserves to keep that gig. Not forever. Not forever, but he sure as hell deserves it for another week. It's not his fault they lost last night. Keep the job. Keep the gig. Ian O'Connor is my guest. Ian, nice to have you back on. How are you? Jim, great to be with you. Great to have you, Ian. So you have covered sports for a long time. You have more or less, Ian, seen pretty much everything. Have you ever seen anybody quite like Bill Belichick? No, <laughs> that's an easy question. Absolutely not. Uh, I've been speaking to 350 people for this book, Jim. I talked to a number of his friends, and they said he is an entirely different human being away from the facility and stadium. He just doesn't want to show that side of, of him in public. Yeah, it's funny because most celebrities and public figures, as you know, want to show their best side in public and hide their worst side in private. Bill does the reverse. Uh, it, it is a strange dynamic, but I think he feels that when he's at, at work and he's at that podium in his news conferences that people around the country are watching, he wants to set an organizational tone for his players that we give away no information. We're in the business of collecting and gathering information but not sharing it. And I think his players do ultimately follow that lead. Ian O'Connor joining us. His book, Belichick, is out right now. So, Ian, if we go back to 2000, when he was hired, what would you have said if I said to you 18 years later that he would not only still be coaching the Patriots, but he'd have five rings and you would be coming out with a book on him? If I had said that to you 18 years ago, what would you have said? Well, I know exactly what I would have said because I wrote it. I wrote it was a bad hire, and I've heard about that from Patriots fans for the last 18 years, uh, and, and rightfully so. I, I thought... Going in, and listen, 75% of the NFL agreed with me at the time. The entire New York Giants organization talking to them, they agreed with me. Certainly the Cleveland people, Mark Modell. Modell told Robert Kraft, this is the biggest mistake of your life hiring this guy. He had four losing seasons out of five in Cleveland. But beyond that, he didn't have – his public personality was terrible. And he certainly didn't project to be – to match up with the profile of a successful head coach in the NFL. So I would have been absolutely flabbergasted if he told me back in 2000 after I wrote that column that he was going to be what he became, but he did, and I've never been more wrong in my life. Obviously, he's 5-13 and 13 after his first games in New England, and then Tom Brady walked into his life. He needed that special player 
as the centerpiece for his what would become a special program. If that doesn't happen, if Brady doesn't come into his life, if Mo Lewis doesn't put that hit on Drew Bledsoe, it's hard to tell what would have become of Belichick and the Patriots, but obviously that's not something he has to worry about. Ian O'Connor joining us, and we'll talk about Belichick and Tom Brady. Ian's book, Belichick, is out right now. You know, again, Ian, you were far from the only person who thought that. I think most people thought that that was not a good hire. As an example, what about that situation with the Jets and how that ended? From all of your reporting, what exactly happened with him there? I think, Jim, it was Bill Parcells' presence. I really do. And I know at the time that a lot of people, and, and Bill said this at his press conference, he cited the uncertainty and the new ownership. Was it going to be Woody Johnson? Was it going to be Chuck Dolan? And, and there was uncertainty there after Leon Hess had passed away. And but I think it was really Parcells was tough on him with the Giants, but he was much tougher on Bill with the Jets. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. And at the time, frankly, I didn't either. I wish I had known that because I think the tone of that column I wrote might have been a little different. But Parcells was really – Ray Mickens, former defensive back for the Jets, told me that he heard Parcells berate Belichick in, in such a way that he couldn't even repeat on the phone what he said. And I, I just think Belichick got worn down – Almost in a sense, the way maybe Brady got worn down in the way he's been coached for 18 years by Belichick last year, I think Little Bill was uh, worn down by Big Bill, and it was time for him to get out from underneath Parcells. And ultimately, and I don't know if he'd ever say this for public consumption, but I think that was the primary reason. Plus, he had a very good relationship with Robert Kraft in New England when he was an assistant under Parcells. Parcells and Kraft hated each other, but Belichick did not. Ian O'Connor is my guest. He's written a book called Belichick. It is out right now. So, Ian, when you talk about the fact that Tom Brady may be worn down from Belichick, I mean, this is the most discussed connection, the relationship between Belichick and Brady himself. How would you describe the relationship over the years, and in particular the last couple of years, between the two of them? Well, uh, over the years, it was always, uh, I've described this as transactional. There was never any uh, warmth or love. They never went out for dinner. But it was the most successful partnership in the history of the league. So it really worked at the highest possible level. And I just think last year, really, it came to a head. All the 18 years of being coached the way he was in an unrelenting, unforgiving way by Belichick. And then I think, Jim, the night they drafted Garoppolo in 2014, it was, it was inevitable that there was going to be a clash. And it happened last year. Brady outperformed the system and force them to trade Garoppolo and then Belichick uh, later on takes away access to Brady's business partner and life coach Alex Guerrero but the Malcolm Butler benching didn't help because Brady was really upset about that so in the offseason my sources told me that late March even Brady was still thinking of walking away rather than play another season for his head coach. Now Ian when you talk about Tom Brady outperforming the system and that forcing them to trade Garoppolo what do you mean by that? If you look at that system over the years Every very good or great Patriots player has basically been moved out one year early rather than one year late. That's the Belichick way. That's the Patriot way. Whether it started with Lawyer Malloy, if you want uh, one penny too much relative to your values uh, against the salary cap in Belichick's estimation, he's going to move you out. He's going to nudge you into retirement. He's going to make a trade. He's going to do something to go to a younger, cheaper player. He's done that his entire time in New England. And Brady was next, and he knew it. As soon as they drafted Garoppolo that night, Belichick said uh, he cited Brady's age, his contract status. He said he's got to be early and late at that position. Brady knew that a warning shot had been fired right over his head. He was next to go, and he outperformed the system and the machine that was going to churn him out next. And he forced them to trade Garoppolo instead. And that was the, that was the ultimate confrontation, the moment of truth. And I think after that, you see the relationship getting more tense uh, up until the point, again, where he seriously considered walking away. Ian O'Connor is my guest. He's written a book called Belichick. It is out today. I think, Ian, you could probably argue pretty uh, easily that Belichick does not have five rings without Brady. Brady does not have five rings without Belichick. If you had to argue, though, who needs the other more? <laughs> that, that's the million-dollar question. I've been asked that a lot. And when, when you write a book about Belichick and you're, you're trying to promote it, Obviously, you're a little biased, and maybe you're thinking Belichick in a system and culture. And I would probably lean that way, but I think it's really more of an even deal in that I think Belichick was worth at least one ring extra to Brady, and Brady was worth at least one ring extra to his coach. And if you put them with other people, in other words, if you put 
Brady with Teddy Dungy, who has what, one ring? I think Dungy would have two. If you put Belichick with Russell Wilson, who's good, but he's not Tom Brady, I think Russell Wilson would have two rings. That, that's the way I look at it. It's very difficult to say one is more important than the other. But at the end of the day, Belichick is the one who created the culture and the system around the quarterback. If I, if you force me to give someone a slight edge, I'd probably go with him. Like, and maybe the same question in a different way, Ian. But if you were to ask Belichick and he were to answer it honestly, how many other quarterbacks does he think that active quarterbacks or quarterbacks of this generation does he think that he could have won five rings with? Uh, I don't know if any. I'm sure he believes. I know he has the highest regard for Aaron Rodgers, who doesn't, right? There's no way Aaron Rodgers has one ring right now if he's been coached by Belichick his entire career and in that same system. I think he would agree with that. Sure. And and so you look at him, and, and I think that that's a perfect example of a guy. Imagine him and his talent in the, in the Patriot system. And uh, I know uh, I reported this, that Tom Brady uh, told uh, one coach in the NFL not too long ago that uh, maybe part of it was in jest, certainly the numbers, but he said if you put Aaron Rodgers and gave him the information I have every week from the coaching staff, he'd throw for 7,000 yards every year mm, <laughs> because he's right. got so much more physical talent than Brady. But, but Brady has that intangible, I think he's the greatest football player ever, not just the greatest quarterback. And a lot of it is just, he's just got that something. It's not phys- Well, he's got physical talent, but he's not a great athlete. He's a great winner. The intangibles are off the charts, and I think that has separated him from Rodgers and everyone else. Ian O'Connor is my guest for a few more moments. He's got a brand-new book out, Belichick. It is out today. Ian, what does Belichick think of Deflategate and the way that whole thing played out? Well, in the early hours of it, he seriously there were a lot of people in that organization, particularly after Brady's first press conference. It was a very poor performance, as you recall, a very wobbly performance. At the podium, a lot of people in the organization were had serious doubts about Brady's claim that he had nothing to do with this. And I think Belichick definitely was in that crowd, according to my sources. Uh, when some science came in backing up the Patriots, they were able to rally around some of that science, and they moved away from whatever doubts they might have had about Brady. But there were a lot of feelings there. I know that uh, Brady was not happy, when, uh, and his camp was not happy when Belichick told reporters, go ask Tom about his preferences with game balls. I don't really know anything about it, but you should ask him. He put it the whole case in his lap, and to me, that was in part anyway Belichick saying, hey, I, I, got, the play, I got Spygate. I already have my gate. This gate is going to belong to my quarterback because Brady benefited from Spygate basically as much as Bill did, but the face of Spygate is Bill, mm. and I think – if there was going to be a face on Deflategate, it was not going to be Belichick. Interesting. In, in your opinion, though, realistically, could Belichick have really not known what was going on at all? You know, you know Jim, a lot of people around the league believe that, and I do too. I do too. I, I know there are some people who, who question that, but uh, I, I thought he was credible in his press conferences uh, after Deflategate first broke. And uh, I, I actually do believe that. You'd be surprised at how many head coaches, who, and some of them don't even like Bill, share that opinion. That, that, that's one where they say if that was anybody, it had to be the quarterback because he's the one who's lording over those game balls. And then, of course, he had the, the two equipment guys uh, in on it as well. Brady is sworn. He had nothing to do with it. Uh, but he did serve that penalty. And I think that uh, I actually believe Belichick's story on that one. I do. You know, Connor is my guest. We have him for a couple of more moments. This book is brand new. It's out today. It's called Belichick. So, Ian, bottom line, how do you think it ends in New England for Bill Belichick? Does he keep coaching for years to come, or do you think that the end is in sight and near? Well, he had, he's a young 66, and he still loves it very much, according to people close to him. And so I, I think he's going to coach another five or so years, and Brady might play another five or so years, so maybe they'll go out together. I do think they have one more ring left in them. Uh, this, this roster certainly doesn't look good enough to do it this year, but uh, I think winning one more, Belichick breaks the tie with Lombardi, Brady. Uh, there's a bunch of great athletes who've had five, and maybe he matches Jordan with six. I do think that'll happen in the next two to three years, uh, but that would be it. And I think the narrative then would be, hey, you guys, many of you said our relationship was done, it wasn't functional anymore, and we came back and we climbed the mountain one more time, and we did it again. And I'd like to, if that happens, I think it'd be a great story, great story to write. I hope I'm there to do it. So, Ian, what do you think life would look like for Belichick after coaching? 
You know, he's not one to – he likes golf, and he's played Pebble Beach, so I think he's going to do a little, little of that. He'll be sailing a little bit around Nantucket. I think he's going to work a long time. I really do. I just think he's a guy who absolutely adores football as much as his father did, and I think as much as his children do. I believe the reason his children, his two sons are on staff now, his daughter is apparently she's known to be a very good women's lacrosse coach at Holy Cross, and I think they gravitated toward that profession because they saw just how much their father adored it. I really don't think we're going to be worrying about what he's going to do post-career in the NFL because I think he's got a lot of career left. The NBA is not that far off, right? 28 of the 30 NBA teams, in fact, held media day yesterday at their respective facilities. So that's over 400 players and a bunch of coaches spitting and rapping into mics and camera phones for hours on end. And if you missed any of it, that's what I'm here for, because I didn't. I got all of it. And even though most of it was kind of a waste of time, largely forgettable, there were at least three moments that I think I've got to run back here today. Now, me, I'm not a list guy. I'm not a top three guy or a countdown guy or a top ten click-through-it guy. But there's no doubt there were three very specific pieces of audio that stood out above all the rest. And I went over all of it for you. I cut through all the crap for you. The collection is so strong and so good that even Steven Adams calling a reporter a bleeping wanka did not even crack that group. Now, I'm going to tell you exactly what this audio is. But I'll get to it a little bit later in the segment. I'll tell you what it is a little bit later on. But you know me, even though I'm not a list guy, I am kind of a game guy. I like to play games. I like to be interactive with it. So why don't we play a quick version of that classic jungle game, You Guess the Sound. Guess the Sound. Ready? I'm going to play it for you now. And then you just go ahead and start tweeting and emailing your guesses. Because the reveal is coming up in a few moments. All right? You guess the sound. Guess the sound. I'm going to play it. You guess what it is. You guess what it is by tweeting at me or emailing me. All right? Are you ready for Guess the Sound? Here we go. Alvin, guess this sound. (laughs) All right. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've seen that or maybe you have not. I hope you have not. This is a good one. One more time. Guess this sound. All right, so go ahead. Hit me up right now on Twitter at Jim Rome. Email me at Rome, R-O-M-E, at haveatake.com. Hit me up with your best guesses. I'm going to give it up later on this segment, but I want to read some of the guesses. All right, now, from three to one, my third favorite sound from yesterday was brand new L.A. Laker, and I couldn't wait for this guy to get to this town because you know what he's going to do. Michael Beasley. Bees gonna bees. Michael Beasley was talking to ESPN about how he thought the season might go. Now, you tell me, in this situation, who had their mind melted more? Mike Beasley or Dave McMenamin of ESPN? Check out this exchange. With taking a day at a time, where should this Lakers team end up by the end of the year? Exactly where we want to. Which is? Where we want to be. Where do you want to be? Taking it a day at a time. <laughs> but if, once you add up all those days, where can you end up? The future. All right, we got to run that back. I mean, forget Mikey B and Davey Mack. Forget Mikey B and Davey Mack. Forget those guys. I don't know about you. My mind, my mind is melted. Run that back one more time, Alvin. With taking a day at a time, where should this Lakers team end up by the end of the year? Exactly where we want to. Which is? Where we want to be. Where do you want to be? Taking it a day at a time. <laughs> but if once you add up all those days, where can you end up? The future. Bro, way to stay in that fight. Way to stay in battle. <laughs> Forget Mikey B and Davey Mack having their minds melted. I'm telling you, mine is a puddle of tie-dye goo right now. And that's amazing. McManaman, way to go, bro. Way to hang in there. That was not easy. See in the future. Taking it one day at a time. Mike, only you, dude. Only you. And never, ever, ever, ever change. Even better than that, though, was the back and forth between Enos Cantor of the Knicks and him describing how excited he gets when he thinks about the Knicks making the playoffs. That, that should be everybody's goal. You know, it's the playoffs. When I think about playoffs, my nipples get hurt. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I doubt you are. 
Note to self, do not talk about the postseason around Cantor. Now, that really shouldn't be a problem considering he plays for the Knicks. But now is the rare time of the year when they're still mathematically alive. So be careful around this dude. I mean, mathematically, they could. But in case he wasn't clear, talking about the playoffs makes his nips hard. My nipples get hurt. A lot of talk about nipples on this program lately. Have you noticed? Batman and his pepperoni nips. I'm Batman. Cantor talking about how he gets aroused in that manner. My nipples get hurt. When we talk about the playoffs. E. Bro. Let me get back to you around December when the Knicks season is already over. And James Dolan is forcibly removing legends from the Garden. In the meantime, I don't want to get too close to you right now and accidentally get bladed. Can you imagine this guy's jersey when he's playing the Thunder? Man, no wonder that guy had to leave. My nipples get hurt. Wow, man. Stop saying that. All right, so those are the top two. You can imagine the winner if that didn't win. That brings me to my favorite sound bite of the day. The sound that I gave you an opportunity to guess. One more time, before I tell you what it is, what do you think this sound is? Our favorite <laughs> game here in the jungle. Guess the sound. <laughs> Guess the sound. <laughs> really quickly, hit me up on Twitter, at Jim Rome. Email me at Rome, R-O-M-E, at Habitate.com. And I'll read some of those guesses. And some of these are incorrect. And I'll see what they are. I know what they are, but I'll share them with you. One more time. Guess the sound. You know, Connor's coming up at 40 past the hour. Batman's in the house. I'm Batman. Okay. One more time. Alvin, guess that sound. Steve in SA guesses. Fibs. It is not Tom Thibodeau, no. Good guess, though. At, that's Tibbs. He's the GOAT. Tibbs is the GOAT. It's not that. Is on Twitter. That sound was me three minutes before you called the Woodscopes. Hey, Wood, it's three minutes after 7 Pacific. Rome is on hold. What's going through your mind? <laughs> At Moose Knuckle 406, Corey in Montana, Will Ferrell crying. <laughs> That's a really good guess. Really good guess. Will Ferrell. It's not correct, though. At Mook Doggy 805. Is that the sound from Revenge of the Nerds? It is not. <laughs> At comedian Billy Bo tweets, Dear Jim, that crying is Rex getting racked. <laughs> is that crying? I know it's not Rex getting racked. That's never going to happen. At Napoleon Solo tweets, a-Rod's laugh. Hashtag, guess that sound. I like that he hashtagged it, though. Guess, this, guess that sound. Or guess the sound. That's not right. <laughs> Rome. Guess the sound. Is it Jeff in San Antonio trying to spit out his wedding vows? It is not. <laughs> I promise to... Love and honor. <laughs> Guess the sound. Rome. That sound is Dane Cook staring at a 14-course meal after hearing the chef say, no bleeping way he finishes that. Aaron in Omaha. That's, that's a good guess. That's a really good guess. Any other guesses before I go to the answer? All good, none correct. 
because that sound was the sound of one of the more quiet, low-key, mysterious dudes in the association, which is why it's kind of jarring on some level. That sound was Kawhi Leonard laughing. I'm a fun guy. Uh, Obviously, I love the game of basketball. Um, I mean, it's just more questions you have to ask me um, in order for me to tell you about myself. I just can't give you a whole spiel. I don't even know where you're sitting at. <laughs> I mean, I got to say, in context, it's even better. Brown's tight end, David Njoku is my guest. You know, things never necessarily go the way you think. The game does not get off to a good start. You're behind 14 nothing. Tyrod Taylor goes out with a concussion. I mean, maybe I guess on some level you could say, damn, here we go again. How did you maintain that focus and not lose track of what you were there to do in that moment? Um, like I said, just a, a great team effort, you know, uh, obviously being down, uh, zero 14 and, you know, our starting quarterback get, uh, getting hurt, you know, it's obviously not the happiest thing, but, um, you know, we, 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 we stayed, you know, lucky, like I said, we stay focused and we just kept fighting and I'm, I'm, I'm really proud, you know, of, of, of my, my teammates and I. So Baker Mayfield comes in and suddenly there's life in the offense. There's a buzz in the stadium. David, I've always argued, I mean this, I think that Tyrod Taylor does not get the respect that he deserves. I think he's a really nice player. But that said, what do you make of Baker and how he showed up Thursday night in prime time on a big stage in a tough situation? Yeah, uh, Baker did, did a phenomenal job, you know. Um, it's not easy being a rookie quarterback uh, and then, you know, just, just throwing, throwing into the fire, uh, you know, on Thursday night football. You know, it, it's a very strong task and he um, – he was very well prepared. You know, he, he came where was very cool, calm, collected, and handled himself very well. You know, I'm, I'm very proud of him, and I'm very excited to see him, you know, progress. David, I can't believe how comfortable he looked. And I'm, I'm talking about a guy on the outside looking in, but he looks so comfortable and so poised. In fact, you said that he was actually talking some smack to the Jets defensive lineman. <laughs> what kind of things was the kid saying, and what does that tell you about him as a player and competitor? I was, you know, just... just Smack talk, you know. I was, I was, I was uh, jogging into the huddle, and I and I overheard, and I just started laughing. You know, it was, uh, it was one of those things that, that uh, you know, like you just, you just see like a, a, a young, a young leader. Sorry, excuse me, a young leader, and I, you, you just, you just see him, you know, just take over, you know. And and, and I was, uh, I was, I was just happy. I was, I was really happy to see all that. David Njoku is my guest. I'm glad you brought up that leadership thing. Like, you're still a young player, but you made the point that when you're a starting quarterback, you got to be able to lead guys who are 10 to 15 years older than you. What has he shown you that he is that guy and that older vets will respond to him? Just great, uh, you know, just being a, a, a great quarterback. You know, uh, obviously, it's, uh, that's like our, our number one job is, is to do our, our job, you know, personally. And uh, he 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 did a great job on Thursday, you know. So so you have to re- respect, you know, someone that that can come in out of nowhere and just you know come back from you know a zero fourteen lead and just you know win a win a game for us, especially on Thursday night. Hey, David, that's oh, am- was a great job. David, that's an amazing town in the sense that you've got Cleveland fans. Man, they, they are so passionate, and they've wanted this so badly. There are fans wearing your jersey in their engagement photos. You autographed a baby during training camp. This is not the type of thing that happens in a lot of cities. So when you have fans that have been through as much losing as they have going back a number of years, how good did it feel for you and the other 52 guys to get those fans a win? It felt great. You know, it felt great. And, and we're, we're definitely uh, still hungry for, for a lot more wins. You know, we're... Um, you know, it, it, it's obviously back to work this week, and we're focused on the Raiders. You know, uh, so it, it, it felt great to get the first one, but uh, this, this this is not the end. All right, David. So you're looking forward, not back. But I want to ask you one thing about the past. You proudly represent the U, and you said that Miami is the place that made you a man. I got to ask, what was the experience like, and how different are you now after you went to Miami than when you first arrived on campus? What's it like to be a member of that family, the U? Oh, uh, it's it's a great feeling, really. Um, it's 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 always going to be uh, brotherhood when uh, when us former players come back. You know, um, I I went back this past weekend to watch my younger brother uh, play, younger brother and the team play at FIU, and uh, I was just I was just so proud just watching those guys. You know, work hard and everything. 
you know, it, it almost uh, brought a, a tear to my eye. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that family, the U, is absolutely incredible. I've done this a long time, and I know everybody's proud of where they went to school or where they balled out, but there's nothing like that U family. I've never seen anything like that. As you look at it, who are some of your favorite members of that family? Who are some of your favorite Canes that went to school there and played ball there? Who are the guys that are the strongest in their personalities? Uh, you, you're putting me in such a, such a tough position here. You know, I have some, so many friends and, and uh, family, pretty much, that uh, that went to the U. You know, old and and, and new. Uh, uh, that's a that's a really tough question. You know, I I appreciate all everybody that that I you know met you know during my my time in Miami. Uh, you know, it, it was just I, I just feel like it just. Uh, Everybody put me where I am today, you know. Uh, whether it was whatever that they, that they said to me that encouraged me to to go that 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 extra mile of working, you know, it, it was just just a, a great blessing being there, you know. Just just you know, learning from you know the the, the former players like Jeremy Shockey and you know and and all all, all the the great ones, you know. Uh, Bernie Kosar was there, you know. I, I talked to him very often, so it's just. It's just a, a blessing to be a part of such, such a great family. That was very diplomatic. Now, the good thing is, and I understand that, I see you working. Here, I know that you can be less diplomatic because I want to ask you about something really important, such as player unknowns battlegrounds versus Fortnite. You are a strong ambassador for player unknowns battlegrounds. Why is that the best game? PUBG, um, as my friends and I reference it, is better than Fortnite in uh, many ways, you know. It's just a, a more realistic game, you know. It's it's, it's more tactical, you know. It's, it's it's not as cartoonish as uh, Fortnite is. Um, so we just uh, take full advantage, you know, in all the characteristics that PUBG has, and uh, we use that game to um, to focus on, you know, great communication skills and uh, and just you know win. So uh, hey, uh- yeah, I I definitely believe it's better than Fortnite. I love that, David, but it's more than it's just more cartoonish. Fortnite's more cartoonish. It's kind of like a, a way of life. I mean, you'll draw the line. You won't even associate with Fortnite players, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I do have a, a couple of Fortnite friends, but uh, it's, just, it's just hard, you know, it's hard. Uh, it's, it's hard to uh, talk to them, you know. I have uh, my, my, my friend that plays on the Steelers, Juju. You know, me, me and him are, are, are pretty cool, but uh, you know, that's the one thing that we just we both just do not agree on is PUBG, Fortnite. You know, uh, but you know, obviously, hopefully, hopefully, we can uh, put that you know behind us and, and continue to be friends. But it'll it'll just be a tough situation from from here on out to deal like, with Fortnite players. So, like for instance, I got about sixty seconds. Like Ninja, if Ninja were to roll up on you, like could you connect with that guy at all, or just no? I mean, yeah, of course. You know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, discriminate just because people play Fortnite. I just, it's, it's just hard for me to, uh, it's hard for me to. I don't know. Uh, it's, just, it's, just a, it's tough for me, I guess. Jeff in Southfield, good to have you back, Jeff. What's up? Breaking news! Breaking news! Live on the Jim Rome Show, we have discovered why Malcolm Butler was not played in Super Bowl Fifty Two. Ask yourself, what did Patriots defensive coordinator Matt Patricia do in the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl? The answer is, he became a Detroit Lion. As everyone knows, the Detroit Lions are the most ridiculously incompetent sports team, bar none, in the history of all sports. Their never-ending losing culture is so renowned, it has a famous tag name, Same Old Lions. Turns out, Same Old Lions is more than just a tag, it's a transmittable disease. And when Matt Patricia shook hands with Lions GM Bob Quinn, he caught it. And he took it back to Foxborough and spread it to Hoodie. So, on Super Bowl 52 game day, they were both ill from the same old Lions virus. And they made a decision that only the Detroit Lions would make. They sat an impact player on Super Bowl Sunday. So there you have it, folks. The reason Malcolm Butler didn't play in Super Bowl 52, same old Lions. Jim I don't know if the Lions will ever win a Super Bowl, but I'm positive they earned an assist in last year's. Fortunately for the Lions, the Patriots got such a heavy dose of same old Lions that they were still ill from it last Sunday night, leading the Lions to an easy victory. And in the process, the Lions discovered a brilliant new offensive weapon, infecting your opponent with the same old Lions virus. Every week, Lions GM Bob Quinn must go to the opposing team's facility and shake hands with a prominent coach or player. If they will not let him in the building, he must cough or sneeze in their direction. 
so as to infect them and weaken them with the Lions losing culture. Hey, Matt Patricia, you may well be a rocket scientist, but it doesn't take one to know that that pencil behind the ear bit was played out by the second time you did it. Why don't you replace that pencil with a comb or a razor or a toothbrush? Oh, and Matt, if you want to discipline your players with lots of rules, then why don't you show them you have some discipline over the basic rules of your own personal hygiene? Bro, your grooming is sub-wookie. Seriously, dude, Chewbacca's sister has deemed you undateable. Atlanta may have Maddie Ice. In Detroit, we have Maddie Lice. Even Rupert from the CBS hit show Survivor thinks you're sloppy. And so does the dude who proposes to his girlfriend at the baseball stadium. Bro, you stand out as poorly dressed at a crowded summer day at Six Flags. And that's impossible. Jim, there's a small army of dudes who like to rock the Matt Patricia look, and some of them, including Matt, are married. I was confused by that. But my confusion was cured when I saw a commercial that said, you don't have to be lonely at Farmers Only. This is a website that disagrees with the classic ZZ Top song. At Farmers Only, they believe every girl's crazy about a poorly dressed slob. Jim, I'm guessing the few women who are actually joining Farmers Only might be a degree or two less than supermodel beautiful. And what I mean by that is, not only would they have trouble getting picked up at the Star Wars Cantina on Luke Skywalker's home planet of Tatooine. But they would have trouble getting hit on in Harvey Weinstein's room. Bam! My man just spent four minutes setting up that line that got him run, but punctuated it himself at the end with BAM! Jeff, you're a weird dude, man. Jay in Wisco. What's going on, Jay? Upper Midwest Sports Report, Rome. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate that, and I know your listeners will, too. Got some heavy fodder for you this afternoon. What do you got? Hit me. Yeah, let's bounce over to the NBA. I've got some very reliable sources who've done some uh, of the dirty grunt work that's not being held on a national scale and finding out that the real deal between our buddy Jimmy Butler, the big market man, is a Carl Anthony Towns issue. Word on the street is, get your Wink Martindale on, a little whoopee whoopee with Carl Anthony Towns' girlfriend, reminiscent to a Tony Parker, Tim Duncan scenario a few years back in San Antonio. Thanks for that, Jay. Any, any, any old time, Alvin. I love my man Jay and Wisco saying, I've got sources and I've been working this. You mean you cracked open your phone and you looked at the internet? You cracked open your phone, you went to the gram? Let's go to the phones really quickly. Maryland. Drew in Maryland. It's good to have you on the show. Drew, how are you? Drew, uh, Jim, sorry. Uh, first time caller, uh, long time listener. Thanks for taking my call. <laughs> That's not a good call. No. How many of you thought for a second that he might go Drew Jumpman Gillett? I was hoping. That was close. Good night now. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. 